chapter. Masters of Deceit. I don't want any excuses. I'm tired of that old woman disappearing. Agent Brown shouted to the agent over the phone. When Anne-Marie first called Lisa and her connection traced back to London, the nearest G.A. network associates were mobilized. With that many agents scrupulously investigating the area, no one matching Anne-Marie's description could possibly leave London, but that was a little more than two days ago. They should have had a lead, some kind of evidence if she was there. It was as if the woman never existed. No one was that good, no one except for. Agent Brown shook his head to remove Jean Claude's name from his mind. Now, was it the time to remember those embarrassing years when one man made them look so human? This was it. He could feel she possessed the journals from the way she talked to Lisa Duquesne. He had to get them. They can't fail now when they were so close to winning. They had Sean Duquesne, Shirley and Marie knew that already and wouldn't jeopardize her own son's life. Now's not the time to fail. I'll not accept anything other than success. Find her or it's your head I'll have, he shouted again into the phone. The door opened. Both Sean and Ari strolled into the room after taking a slow stroll to the lake and back. Sean found Ari rather boring, lacking in conversation, and exceedingly deficient in personality. He was as large, if not bigger, than the last dark assassin, but possessed a quiet malevolence that nagged Sean's subconscious. Ari was helpful when he had to be, but always acted as though there was an ulterior motive to his actions. Agent Brown glanced at the two and frowned. Ari looked at Sean, gently placed his huge hand around his arm, and smiled, follow me, he said with a deep voice. When the two left, Brown continued, but more reserved than before. Tell me exactly what your people did over there. After several minutes of listening, nodding, and mumbling affirmations, Brown relented. The associates in London did nothing wrong. They followed procedure impeccably to the letter. If they couldn't find Anne-Marie in London, then no one could. Brown told the agent to continue their investigation and hung up. He then dialed another number. This is Brown. I want the Duquesne house bug. I know the phones are already tapped, you idiot. The house. I want the house bug. Brown listened to the lame excuse coming from the receiver. Well, find some way to get them out. I want to know what's going on inside that house, and I want it done today. Agent Brown slammed the phone back on the base and fumed. He turned around aimlessly in the room until he remembered what he had to do. Rushing to the sofa, he sat down and closed his eyes. He was late and had to hurry. The evil spirit possessing Agent Brown's body swiftly left as a shapeless dark mass and entered the realm in which entities like it could easily exist outside a human host. In this realm, the environment was void of all colors except for different shades of gray, black, and white. It looked down at the slumped body of Agent Brown on the sofa and then quickly flew away. Blurred shapes rushed past the entity as it moved with inexplicable speed, not once being hindered by physical objects while in its ethereal form in the realm. It simply passed through everything in its path. Shortly, the evil spirit slowed as it entered a region of vast semi-darkness. From areas unseen there were moans, hisses, hideous shrieks, and deep grumblings. At times a dark shape would flash by as it proceeded to an unknown destination. Soon the entity made its way to a hideous guard of decaying, rotting flesh. The guard nodded and allowed it to proceed. This area was a deeper gray than the rest and seemed to prevent a significant amount of light to enter. In the center was a dark, 
medium-built man with black, long, flowing hair. He was dressed in black with his back facing the evil spirit. Take shape, said the man turning to the entity. The man's face was plain but anxious. He was not pleased to wait for his update. The evil spirit took the shape of Agent Brown and waited. I don't like waiting. With the wave of his hand, a sickening pain washed over Brown, but he stood his ground, receiving the punishment without complaining. His empty black eye sockets examining the discomfort he caused, the man approached Agent Brown. Enough. Give me your report. With the pain fading, Brown spoke to his superior. And Marie Duquesne can't be found. She's disappeared, and they're made of flesh. They don't disappear. Choose your words carefully. The entity resembling Agent Brown moved nervously, expecting more discipline. When it didn't come, the spirit continued, but with more carefully chosen words. Agents in London cannot locate any evidence of Anne-Marie Duquesne's presence in the area. They were flawless in their investigation and are not to be blamed. Then who is? Someone must answer for this. You must not have looked in the right places, the superior said, becoming more irritated. Since the day she first left the Duquesne children, she has made us look foolish and incompetent. No, more. The superior's fist viciously slammed into Brown's chest, shattering his body into thousands of tiny pieces. The pieces slowly reformed, and this time took the shape of Albert Spencer. Albert lowered his head, trying to mask the excruciating pain. Gathering his strength, he clenched his fist and slowly raised his head. The superior continued. We cannot suffer another humiliation so close to the last one. She must be found, the journals retrieved and destroyed. No human eyes must ever see what Fairchild and Jean Claude wrote. If we lose here, we lose too much, and losing is not an option. Do you understand me? Yes. The answer was contemplated. No, I don't think you do. The shape of the man in black shimmered and exploded. In his place stood a tall, sickly-looking angel. His countenance didn't shine, as one would expect from an angel, but instead emitted a dull yellow glow. Albert turned his head from his superior's true form, trying not to look at the reminder of his own veritable existence. The pain of being cast from heaven still pained some fallen angels, and the one taking Albert's shape couldn't stand the sight of it. It was this pain that drove them to lash out at the originator of their torment, God, by attacking his prized creation, the sons and daughters of Adam. The superior looked at his minion with probing eyes before continuing. Look at me. No. Albert would weather be separated into thousands of pieces instead of looking at him. The superior grabbed Albert and turned him roughly around. This is what we become. Maybe being in a man's body softened you a bit. You take the shapes of a dark mass in humans to hide the shame of what you truly are. You hide yourself, but maybe you need a reminder. Stop it. It hurts. Of course it hurts, and what do we do with that pain? We destroy that which we hate, answered Albert. And who do we hate? Him. Albert said quickly, wanting the torture to be over. And, asked the superior, that which he created. The superior released Albert and resumed the original shape of the ling-haired man and turned away from him. We have worked too hard to make these pathetic beings our slaves that unwittingly do our will. Over the ages we've lied, manipulated, guided, and empowered them with supernatural gifts to seduce their wills. We become masters to a large amount of them. Too much work has been put into this. We can't lose what we've gained so far, said the superior. They're too far gone. 
They won't believe Fairchild's words, mumbled Albert. The superior faced Albert again. Are you willing to take that chance? Are you willing to stand before our principal and explain yourself? He waited, then continued. I will inform my superior that Anne-Marie Duquesne is close to being found. With her son in our possession, she'll make an appearance soon. Whether she's protected or not, we are prepared for a war against her protectors. I'll also tell our principal that you are prepared to wage a full-scale attack against this woman, guaranteeing victory, the destruction of the journals, and the deaths of all Duquesnes. You understand? Yes, Albert answered. Albert understood all too well that his superior was separating himself from any failure. In victory, his superior would reap the benefits while in defeat Albert and Albert alone will be damned for all eternity. Defeat is not an option, Albert slowly said. The superior smiled. Good, then you can go. Sean shuddered as he sat on his bed. Since he returned from his walk with Ari, things seemed different around the house. Ari treated him more like a prisoner than a bodyguard, while Agent Brown seemed to talk and look at him differently from before. Something was definitely different, but he couldn't grasp what it was. Sometimes he even felt as though there was someone in the room watching him at all times, but figured it was just his nerves. Brown was probably occupied with important matters and needed him out of the way for a while. For no reason at all, he thought about Lisa and the time share on the boat before the accident. Remembering back, he saw himself on the deck staring at the stars and the moon with his wife at his side. It seemed so long ago, much had happened since then. His eyes were open to many terrifying and earth-shattering things. Nothing was the same. However, there was something about that time he forgot about, something just on the edge of his memory. Sean quickly turned. He thought he saw something just out of the range of his peripheral vision, but nothing was there. He shook his head and remembered it was late and he should get some rest, but he was too afraid to close his eyes. Ever since that horrible nightmare that left his mouth and ribs in pain, he struggled against the pull to close his eyes. Each night when he did finally succumb, his dreams always troubled him. Not as bad as the first nightmare, but numbing nevertheless. When he awoke, it seemed as though he was less himself than when he fell asleep. Inexplicable as it sounded, that's how he felt. And as each night passed, his fears of not being alone and being watched intensified. Sean stood up. Sleek was going to find a hard foe to seduce tonight. He walked to the door and opened it. Ari stared at Sean inquisitively. You must rest, Mr. Duquesne. Go to sleep. His deep voice rebounding throughout the room. I'm not really tired yet. I'm going to the refrigerator to get a quick bite, said Sean as he took a step toward Ari, in anticipation of the man moving away from the door entrance. Ari didn't move. He stood there staring at Sean as if pondering what to say. No, what do you want? I'll get it for you, Ari finally said. Shocked at the response, Sean realized they didn't want him to leave his room. I, I don't really know, he said to the powerful man standing in front of him. I guess some ice cream would be nice. Ari paused, stepped back. When Sean obeyed, the door was quickly closed and locked. Sean stood there in disbelief. He didn't know how or when it happened, but he'd become a prisoner again. There was a muffled laugh in the room. Sean turned to see nothing again. Was all of this inside my head, he thought. He sat on his bed and waited for the ice cream when he suddenly shivered violently, as if something hideous just passed through him. Sean's eyes darted around the room as fear started to build in him. Soon, very soon, 
a voice said. This time Sean heard the voice right next to his ear and felt the hot breath on his skin. Moving his head slowly, he saw nothing. Quickly, he bolted from his bed and started banging on the door. He didn't know if the man and Dave Vass were trying to contact him or not, but he wasn't going to stay here one more moment to find out. He'll take his chances with Ari. Suddenly, his mind flew back to that special moment with his wife on the boat. Closing his eyes, he felt the night air. It was cold yet comforting and the wind rather gentle as the ship cut through the calm dark blue waters. It was a clear night. All of the stars in the heavens were so bright you could almost reach out and grab them. The moon, oh the moon, how it shone majestically off the waters beneath it and how it illuminated both the night and the mood. He remembered the soft caresses they exchanged, reconfirming the deep love they still had for each other. The breath coming from his nostrils were long streams of vapor chilled by the cool air. He looked at his wife and felt the warmth from her body on his. This was simple and pure, he thought, the way it's supposed to be, separated from the concerns, confusion, and stress of everyday life. Nothing else at this time mattered. Nothing else was of any importance other than this quiet, beautiful moment he shared alone with his wife. He watched her stare up at the heavens, knowing that she too cherished the beauty of this moment. His senses felt extremely acute as she fully took in the moment. Everything he experienced was with a sense of purity and a disregard for time that seemed to last forever. Sean placed his hand on his wife's cheek. When she looked at him, he said, I love you with his lips. Lisa smiled and said, I love you too. What are you doing? Asked Ari, staring curiously at Sean. Why were you banging on the door? You should not. Ari looked past Sean and stared blankly at the wall as if listening to something. Ari then looked at Sean with malevolent anger. He crushed the cup of ice cream he was holding in his hand, shoved Sean violently to the floor, and then quickly locked the door again. Sean could hear the heavy footsteps flying down the stairs. What happened? Sean said, confused. You will be disciplined for your transgressions, the same whispering voice said. Sean ignored the voice and even marveled that he was not as fearful as before. Within seconds the door flew open. Agent Brown and Ari stood at the entrance, breathing heavily. Brown stared at the same spot Ari previously did for a second or two, and then looked at Sean. Tell me what you just did, Duquesne. Brown shouted at him. Still lying on the floor from the shove, Sean answered. I can't stand it in here anymore. I don't like being locked in. I just wanted to get out. Brown kneeled closer to Sean, his eyes just a few inches away. That's not what I'm talking about. Exactly what were you thinking about a few minutes ago? What? Sean's confusion wasn't from the question, which he barely heard. Brown's voice slowly faded away as his lips continued to move. The room and everything in it became dark and hazy. Everything turned various shades of gray as Sean slowly looked around. As he turned, he saw a dark shadow with red glowing eyes looking at him from the corner of the room. He felt a tugging on his shirt and noticed that Brown was shaking him, angrily thinking that Sean was ignoring him. That's when the reality of what was happening hit him. It wasn't really Agent Brown who stood in front of him. It was a force of inexplicable dreadfulness. But when he looked at Ari, he saw something entirely different. He saw multiple shadowy figures pulsating within the man's body. Get off me. He screamed at Agent Brown, slapping his hands away. What are you? Sean kicked himself away from Agent Brown and huddled close to the bed. Brown looked at Sean confused, then Ari, 
and then at the shadowy figure. He sees as I told you. He has regressed from our influence. The shadowy figure moved closer to Agent Brown, who then changed his shape to that of a demon. The demon straightened up to its full height of nine feet and clenched his fists. This is unexpected. Shaking his head, he continued, I believe Duquesne will no longer be effective against his mother. I guess I should take control of the situation and possess his body. She'll recognize you, but maybe not too soon. You'll only need a second to do what you must. We're all ready, said the shadowy figure. What are you talking about? Sean managed to say while clutching his knees. Are you all aliens? The man of Davas? No, Duquesne, answered the demon. We're far worse. Since you see clearly, you must somehow understand that it was a lie. We're fallen angels, demons, sent to destroy you and your family. To suppress that which may expose our motives and all we've worked hard to accomplish. But that shouldn't matter now. You accepted the lie. You rejected your last hope of finding your God, and you embraced us. We own you now. We can do whatever we want to you, whenever we want, and soon you'll die. I'll take over your frame, delude and confuse your mother, and retrieve the journals. What journals? thought Sean. His thought were interrupted when, Sean, said Lisa. Look at the stars up there, aren't they beautiful? Sean looked at the stars and again, they were indeed beautiful, but that wasn't all. They radiated such a beautiful light that it seemed to warm him inside. It was as if he could reach out, and Sean's mouth dropped as his hand reached out and embraced the star. He drew it close to him and held it tight on his chest. He felt warmth spreading from where the star touched him, moving in every direction until his whole body felt light. Sean looked for the star, but it was gone. He must have absorbed it. He took several breaths as the lightness he felt made him tingle all over. He wasn't afraid, even though he was experiencing something he couldn't explain. He looked at Lisa, who smiled and nodded understanding how he felt. A sharp blow came to Sean's chest, and his eyes focused on the demon, now livid beyond explanation. The demon lifted Sean by his neck and drew him closer to him. It looked at Sean, studying him carefully, as if confused. What's beautiful Duquesne? Sean noticed a twinge of nervousness in the air, and it wasn't coming from him. Despite the grip the demon held on him, he was still able to breathe, he wasn't afraid. Lisa, he thought to himself, I feel as though I'm starting to see things clearly for the very first time. Close your eyes, dear, she said. Sean closed his eyes and immediately saw stars, planets, asteroids, moons, comets, solar systems, galaxies, and an unlimited array of heavenly bodies flashing before him at an impossible speed. All were unique, none were the same, and all were beautiful. What he saw expressed itself in such unrequited beauty that nothing else mattered. Sean opened his eyes, tears were flowing down his cheeks. The star he touched slowly emerged from his chest and took its place again among its brethren. Trying to catch his breath and the feeling he no longer felt, he looked at Lisa. What happened? Lisa smiled and held her husband's hand. That was but a small taste of what is always around us. All creation is full of his glory. Sometimes we just have to be still and silent. Sean opened his eyes and stared at the demon. You have no power over me, he said calmly. I, what, said the demon, confused. He still belongs to us, screamed the shadowy figure. He's slipping, take him now before it's too late. Without hesitating, the demon shifted to a dark shapeless mass and entered Sean's body. He felt resistance within Sean, 
but nothing the demon couldn't handle. Sean Duquesne was his. Very soon, his soul would give up and be expelled. The demon grabbed hold of Sean's will and squeezed hard, listening to the screams within Sean's mind. It won't be long now, Duquesne, he said to Sean's mind. Sean didn't respond but instead opened his mind to his previous memory. He looked up at the night sky again. How many times had he looked at the night sky and never seen or felt what he just felt a moment ago? How many sunsets and sunrises had he seen in his lifetime and never stood still to be awed by the majestic beauty, peace, and glory of God's creation? How many times had he stared down and straight ahead, but never up? How many? How many times? Why? He asked Lisa. Why did God create all this? Dear Sean, she smiled again. Oh, that smile, how it always warmed him. Sean, what is love if it's never shown? The creation of something beautiful is the manifestation of a deep fount of love that needs to be expressed. Look at me, Sean. I am. No, dear. Look deeper than what you can see on the outside. Look within me. Sean squinted hard, but only saw Lisa's beautiful eyes staring lovingly at him. He tried hard to do what she asked but couldn't. I can't, he said, shaking his head. What I see before me is a beautiful person who changed my life forever. A woman who means the world to me. Lisa smiled, and I feel the same way about you, my love, but don't forget the star. Yes, the star that was awesome. Lisa nodded. You'll never look at another star quite the same way again, right? Yeah. Lisa cupped Sean's face with her hands. I have the same within me. Why can't you see it? What? Now, he was even more confused. Sean, listen. You base too much on what you see with your eyes. Sometimes you have to close your eyes, be still and quiet, and then see what's really there. Then and only then will you really see and understand," said Lisa. Sean stared back at his wife. Item under. Shush. She held a finger to his lips. I will always love you throughout all eternity, my love. Lisa kissed Sean on his lips. Don't forget this night. Don't forget everything that has happened, for the answer is right there and will always be there. You just have to close your eyes to see it. The demon, seeing everything, howled in anger. How did those thoughts get into Sean's head? Why was he remembering them now? The demon pushed everything he had against Sean to no avail. A wall was now formed between them. Sean closed his eyes, and slowly the noises both around him and within his mind disappeared. Gradually, everything became crystal clear. There were never aliens, only demons aspiring to use and destroy him. God wasn't a crutch in tough times, a ruler to see how we don't measure up to his standards, or something we observe every Sunday or religious holiday. God's the creator of everything around us. He desires for us to love him with not just our minds, but with our spirit, soul, and heart. He requires the same type of love you would have for a mother, a child, and a spouse. He demands a complete surrender of everything we're made of, so love can flow freely from him to us and from us to him. Sean opened his eyes, and immediately the tears started to fall. God, I'm sorry for rejecting you. I was wrong. I tried to understand you with my mind and ignored my heart. I ignored what my spirit really wanted to do, and that was to love you unconditionally. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Shut up, Duquesne. Shut up screamed the demon inside Sean's mind. Suddenly the wall that held the demon back became larger, pushing him backwards. Soon there was a thunderous clap in the room, 
and the demon was forcibly pushed from Sean's body. He fell heavily on the floor, stunned. The ring symbolizing Sean's affiliation with the G, A, flew off his finger. When the ring came to rest on the ground, it slowly melted to a molten slag, utterly disfigured from its original shape. Both Ari and the shadowy figure stared at the entire scene for what seemed like an eternity. The shadowy figure, being the quicker of the two, screamed and fled the room. Ari, on the other hand, helped the demon to his feet. What happened? asked Ari. The demon stood to his full hideous height and cracked his knuckles. We lost him. Ari took a step back. If they lost Duquesne, then that could only mean. Sean stood up, breathing heavily, and pointed his shaky finger at the demon. You're not Agent Brown, are you? You. You. Lied to me. You wanted me to kill my mother. Ignoring the words, the demon lunged at Sean. Everything was falling apart too quickly. He remembered just hours ago when he said that defeat was not an option, but now he looked as though defeat was inevitable. Long, dagger-like claws protruded from his fingertips as he prepared to rip the flesh of this disgusting human from limb to limb. Before he reached Sean, a large angel appeared, standing in his way. The angel, catching the demon off guard, struck a heavy blow to his head, sending him off to the side. The demon landed heavy on the floor, immediately jumped to his feet, and glared at the angel. What did I do wrong? said the demon as he looked at Ari and clenched his fists. It is time for battle, my legion. Hideous screams emanated from Ari as numerous demons shot forth from him. The room dissolved, revealing a hazy field, fogged over, and void of neither depth nor height. Dwarfing Sean stood his guardian angel, pleased to be once again at his side, and even more pleased to see God's light shining from his spirit. You'll never be alone again, said the guardian angel to Sean. Sean stared at the angel in disbelief, but then horror overtook him as he focused on the legion of demons totally surrounding them. There were literally thousands of them flicking their red tongues and making their crude vile comments. Ari was gone. This was the legion that had possessed him. The demon, which used to be Agent Brown, slowly swaggered up to the angel, grimacing. We have rights to this one. He's ours, no longer. Fallen one. He has rejected your lies and accepted the truth. A massive sword appeared in the angel's hand, and he waved it in front of him easily. I'll give you and your minions one chance to leave. Leave now or expect God's wrath to devastate you. The demon straightened up and tried his best not to show his nervousness in front of the legion. The legion was primed and ready to fight. To back down now would not look good in their eyes. But then again, angels didn't usually make idle threats. There was really nothing the demon could do. If he retreated, they'll scourge him. If he attacked, his chances of succeeding didn't look good. So, to put it bluntly, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Damn you and your god, attack. A horrendous war lifted from the legion surrounding the angel and Sean. As a single wave, the demons flowed toward them. Stay close to me, Sean Duquesne, and see the power of God over these foul cast-down creatures, said the guardian angel. A bright light engulfed the area, revealing a multitude of angels hovering several feet above the ground. With swords drawn, they were ready for an easy battle since they outnumbered the legion two to one. In unison, a holy cry rose from the angels as they attacked with frightening speed and strength. The legion had no chance, their defeat came swiftly. Chapter Conclusion Sean put down the last journal, then gave all the journals to his mother. Again, 
He was shocked as he read the words of his late grandfather, Sir Geoffrey Fairchild. Sean's grandfather called them masters of deceit, and from what Sean recently went through, he undeniably agreed with that title. They are masters of deceit, for since the creation of man, fallen angels have been planting thoughts, manipulating, directing, destroying, and recruiting anyone and everyone who would listen to their laws. Their ultimate goals, destroy, maim, pervert, distort, and kill that which was created in God's image. Man. Looking at Julie's computer, which had just finished printing out the last of the previously encrypted files, Sean's mind flew to his family. He wished he was with Lisa and the kids, but knew that it would take time for them to lose the agents still watching them. Once his family made it to this secret location, they would contact Julie and she would make sure Sean would leave without delay to greet them. God's protective hand was still upon them, helping them evade the G, A still looking for them, and opening doors where there were none. But their lives would never be the same again. It was going to be hard to be so secretive with their lives, well, all except for Julie. No one knew of their connections with her, but as for the Duquesnes, it'll take a bit of getting used to. After reading the journals for the umpteenth time to Anne-Marie and Julie, he looked at them. So we know the truth now. How do we tell people about it? How do we make them believe? It's up to them to believe, dear, responded Anne-Marie. But the influence and power that G.A. holds is unimaginable. I mean, look at this. Sean produced the printout from his internet search on obelisks. There are so many of these obelisks all over the world. Look, they're in New York, London, Paris, four in Rome, Istanbul, Cairo, and three in Luxor, to just name a few. And what do you think about this? Sean showed the back of a US dollar bill to the two. Do you know what Anuit Coeptes and Novus Ordo Seclorum means? It means he has favored our undertakings and a new order of the ages. Now, I don't doubt my country was founded on Christian beliefs, but where they stand now, I don't know. These phrases alone would normally refer to God, but from what we now know, I'm not too sure. It could be a statement of affiliation to the G.A. If some of the most powerful nations in this world are seduced by the G.A., then what can the three of us do? Julie cleared her throat. Everyone looked at her. I know what role I must play. Thanks to your grandfather's notes on the deciphering key to translate the ancient text, I realized it was the same for unlocking the encryption. I now have the name of every single G, A, grunt in the world and sensitive documents that'll expose and hurt them. With Sir Fairchild's code for deciphering their encrypted language, artifacts once considered undecipherable will speak volumes. People will believe when they see all of this proof, and if they don't, then they're already dead. She gently rubbed her computer. With this, I can reach almost everyone on the planet. Don't worry, we'll let everyone know. Anne-Marie smiled. She knew firsthand of Julie's genius with computers. Sean, God has an awesome role for you to play in all of this since these journals were only for your eyes. In time, I know it'll be clear, and Julie, Anne-Marie smiled. With what I've seen you do with that computer, I'm pretty sure there'll come a day when they'll no longer be known as masters of deceit, but as masters of defeat. This ends the first novel for season one of Masters of Deceit. The story continues and escalates with the second book, season two called Symbiote, What Lies Within. All AI narrations were generated from well-said labs and background cinematic music from pixabay.com, as stated before.
Masters of Deceit is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents either are the product of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously, and any resemblance to any actual persons living or dead, events, or locales is entirely coincidental. The author would like to thank his family for their patience as he spent countless hours both writing these novels and generating each episode for this audiobook novel. And thank you for listening to Masters of Deceit.